This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Matthew chapter number one and verse number 18. Uh, that's where we were last week. God spoke to my heart. Uh, we've had people saved this morning. Lives have been touched. Just uh, people responding to the message in all of the previous services. And I just believe that God's going to do something great in this one. Amen? amen. As a matter of fact, I've preached myself a little tired today. If you get a better amen, I might get a little more fired up. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence. I thank you for your love and your goodness. And God, I ask you not only for this morning, but I thank you for what you're going to do in our lives today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, show up, change lives, change our hearts, and let us hear your call, your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'll bring you this message, O come all ye faithful. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18 from our Sing uh, series this year. This is how... Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, we talked about this last week, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. I want you to notice that. And did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And we talked last week how that righteous people don't brag about other people's failures in public to make them look, themselves look better. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Notice verse 24, and then we're going to pray. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Watch this. When he woke up, he did what God told him to do. And he took Mary as his wife. Father, thank you again for this word. Help us to hear your call to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, open this word to us today. Amen. Now we're in a series where we're talking about the songs that we sing during this time of year and why we sing them. And I want you to notice the power of that last passage that Joseph immediately got up and did what the Word said to do. And now, I will tell you that if you read a Scripture and you do immediately what it says to do, your life's going to change. It's going to change for the good. I think the problem is that most of us have to decide, do we really want to do what the Scripture says we're supposed to do? Do we really want to apply it? Like, for example, today I was reading a verse this morning. Many of you read it. It was a verse of the day today that says, pray for those that do you wrong and, uh, uh, and the Lord will, uh, will help them. The verse, that's the version that I was reading. It basically said, it said it this way. It said, pray for those who want to cause you pain and the Lord will help them. And I thought that reads like, pray the Lord will help them cause me pain. I don't want that to happen. 
So I had to evaluate it, and I began to think that maybe, just maybe, that verse was a little bit out of context the way that I was interpreting it, and I had to begin to weigh whether or not I wanted to pray for those that are trying to cause me pain, that the Lord would help them cause me pain, because I don't think I want anybody to cause me pain. Can I get an amen for that? And so I was evaluating the passage, and so in evaluating the passage before long, in the evaluation, I want you to listen to what I'm saying carefully, in the evaluation I lost the presentation of what God was trying to say to me, because I was trying to decide how it applied to my life and whether or not I was willing to apply it. And I think that's where we end up in trouble because instead of just in, in, in engaging in what God calls us to do, to the invitation that God has given us, most of us end up in a place where we're trying to decide, is this for me? Do I want this? Whether or not, uh, did the pastor present this well? Did the songs go too long? Did God really speak to me? Because he really was probably speaking to the person over next to me because they needed it more than me. But look what Joseph did. Immediately, God says, come and, and, and be a part of a great and amazing journey. I want you to marry Mary, and I want you to go out and raise this child. I want you, because it's of me. And the Bible says that when he woke up, immediately he went and did what God had commanded him to do. He had an invitation to be part of something greater, and then he immediately accepted it. You see, Scripture is an invitation. It's all throughout the Scripture. The invitation says, come. Would you help me with that? Come. I got about a tenth of you. Help me with that. Let's say it. Come. There's an invitation all through Scripture, but the problem is we don't understand the feeling of what kind of invitation it really was. Let me give you an example. The other day, I, I saw someone, and uh, Pastor Todd, would you help me for just, just a brief second? This is just simple. Uh, I, I'm sorry to make you come back. You played so hard all day, but just come up here for a minute. I saw somebody I hadn't seen in a while, and I, I kind of did that, you know, and I, man, I had to see you. And Charlie was standing there beside me, and whoo, got that good 80s thing going on there, don't we? Hey, man. And I'm standing beside them, and I've kind of put my, I do, I have the 80s thing going on. Hey, man, and I'm standing beside uh, my friend, and I looked at him, I said, hey, listen, can we, we're either going to lie to each other and say we're going to get together, or let's just be honest, it's never going to happen. And just know I love you. And that, that, the guy said, that's right, Pastor. Love you too. Thank you, Pastor Todd. So when, when the gentleman walked off, Charlie says to me, uh, so what were you saying? And I said, well, I was just telling him I'd love to see him, but I'm not going to lie to him and say we're going to get together because it's probably never going to happen. So... I see somebody else down the road, and I say to him, hey, let's get together sometimes. And Charlie said to me, were y'all lying to each other? And I said, no, we weren't lying to each other because what I, I did not say, I'll be at your house on such and such a day. I said, hey, I'd like to get together with you sometime." So really what that does is it throws it between us that we know there's a mutual esteem. And let me, just, let me just interpret that for you. If you say, hey, I'd like to get together with you sometime, and they go, mm, it ain't never going to happen. Come on, amen. But if they look at you and say, when, then they've taken it another step. So I'm trying to explain to him how the whole invitation thing works. And, and, and sometimes that you're just really saying to somebody, I'd like some time with you, but I understand schedules and I get that. So we're trying to figure all that out. And so we walk out of church last Sunday. Somebody walks down. We're talking with us through the parking lot. And we get down there and we're talking football because last week was a big football weekend. And they were like, well, I didn't get to see the game, this game or that game because I don't have those channels. And, and so what I said to them, I, I know that they're, they're, they're a master at making hamburgers. And so I, I said to them, I said, well, why don't you come over to the house and you can cook hamburgers. Come on, I invite them to my house to cook. Isn't that a good thing? Amen. You can cook the hamburgers and we'll watch the ball game uh, on television. And so I didn't think that much about it. It was, you know, and so I, I closed the door and Charlie says to me again, he says, Dad, 
was that one of those never really going to happen things? And I said, well, not really. If there's a game he wants to see, he knows the ticket is to make me an hamburger. Come on there, man. But I said, if, for instance, if I had said, meet me at January 29th at 10 a.m. for the semifinal game that we want to see, then that would have been a specific time and a specific invitation. So the reason I tell you all of that is when God speaks to you, unless there's a method to my madness, when God speaks to you, most of us have been dealing with God speaking to us the way that we deal with the general invitation. I'd like to hang out with you sometime, God. Most of us have been speaking to God in the same way. There's a scripture that's applicable to our lives. We're like, well, maybe I'll get around to that someday. Maybe someday I'll get there. But the problem is that God doesn't give us someday invitations. He gives us today invitations to make real changes in our lives right now, right where we are, right, right in the middle of our situation. And God's tired of us going, oh, someday I'll come adore you. No, God's looking for the people who will answer his cry. Oh, come all ye faithful. See, last week we talked about, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, begging God to come be with us. But this week we hear the opposite of that cry. Oh, come all of you faithful, all of those who know how to worship. Gather with me. Let us join together and let us exalt the name of the Lord together. And God is giving a call to us saying, here's an invitation. And we can't treat that invitation like, yes, someday. I love what Joseph does. Immediately he gets up and he goes and does what God has commanded him to do. What would change in your life if God spoke to you and all of a sudden you made it your life's mission that no matter what it costs, you're going to obey God? Things would change. Pastor Don, I don't know if I see this invitation thing in Scripture. How can you miss it? Scripture is full of it. I thought about that word where it says, come. Scripture is an invitation. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18 says, come now, let's settle this. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though your sin is as red as crimson, I will make it white as wool. Look at what the word is saying. It's an invitation over and over again. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come unto me. He said, you don't, he said, you can drink free. You don't have to come feeling like you don't have anything to offer. He said, whosoever would drink from the water of life may come and do so freely. Think about what he said. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come tell me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Imagine the days he walked by and saw Zacchaeus up in a tree. What did he say to Zacchaeus? He said, come down from that tree because I'm going to your house today. The scripture is full of example of example. When Jesus stepped out onto the water walking across and Peter said, invite me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. The scripture is one constant invitation over and over again. He said, I am the bread of life. If you are hungry, come to me and you will never be hungry again. How about this verse? The spirit and the bride say, come. And that is how people are brought to salvation. Let anyone who hears this say, come, because if anyone is thirsty, come. From Isaiah to the end of the pages of Revelation, we hear the invitation from Jesus to come, an invitation into his presence, an invitation to experience his glory, an invitation to see him for who he really is. Come, oh come, let us adore him.
Perhaps the most terrifying and the most exciting words in Scripture when God speaks them to us and He says, come unto us. We know that our lives will never be the same, but God is bidding us come and we will end up changed for His glory. Come and see. Last week we bid Him come. This week He calls to us. 700 years before the time of the manger that we're talking about, 700 years before the Christmas advent, we saw that before there was ever a virgin that had conceived, before the angels filled the sky, before Bethlehem, Isaiah said it this way. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse number 1, he said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness, well, I feel God, is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. What I'm trying to tell you is it's all about God shining a light, not to keep us away, not that we we slink out of the light, but that we stand up and realize we can come and adore Him and put it off to tomorrow. That day is over. Today is the day to worship the King of glory. Why don't you join me? Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us lift up this King of glory, man. You see, when you have an invitation, your decision changes the course of your life. I'll never forget almost three decades ago, I took this lovely little lady and we climbed a waterfall. We got to the top of that waterfall and I helped her ascend to a high rock that was taller than she. I climbed back down that rock. I got out on my knees in front of everybody else who climbed up to that waterfall and I pulled out a little ring out of my pocket and I I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. It was a dumb idea to put on the rock because I was ready for a kiss and she was way up there. I said, well, good. Because if you said no, I was going to leave you up there. Amen. (laughs) But she said, yes. So I climbed up there and helped her back down. People cheered, and our lives changed forever, all because I issued an invitation, and she agreed to join me on this life's journey. I have the opportunity today, and I tell you, I hate to retrace steps in the past services, but today I watched as people were responding to this call to come into his presence, and I watched as a man who has fought so many obstacles in his life, and he's gone through such hell in his life, and he stood right in this place this morning, and I gave the call to come unto you, him that it would, would save you and set you free, and I watched the struggle on his face for a moment, but I watched the breaking happen as that hand went up in the air, and he began to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is risen from the dead and now he's joined an invitation that's going to change his life forever. Amen. Amen. You see, the core message of Christmas is a simple invitation. Come. Come and behold him. Come and adore him. I think sometimes we miss the, the, the power of the cradle, the manger, because we get so focused on what happened on the cross. 
It was at the cross that Jesus died for us. It was at the cross that his blood was shed for us. It was at the cross that he cried out, it is finished for us. It was at the cross that all those great things were accomplished for us. The beauty of what was accomplished on the cross cannot be forgotten. But what was accomplished on the cross must be measured with what's on both sides of the cross. Listen to me carefully. On both sides of the cross is an incarnation of God himself. Then comes the cross and then comes the resurrection. If God didn't come then he couldn't have died for me. And if he died for me and didn't raise from the dead, therein is no hope. But he came, he died, and he rose again. And now I have the hope that he bids me come and he has the strength to back it up. Amen. You see, we can't miss what happened at the incarnation if we want to celebrate what happened at the sacrifice. Because the miracle of Easter begins with a miracle of Christmas. You're not going to understand why I'm diving into the ramble I'm about to go into for a moment, but bear with me. You need to understand that Jesus came as a baby who was fully human. I want you to get this. He was fully human. That when he was born in that manger, he was God become flesh. I'm going to get to what else he was, but he was God become flesh. The God became a human being. As the carol of old says, oh, come all ye faithful. He is the word of God now in flesh appearing. We can get to the cross, but we never will understand what have happened on the cross when we forget the power of the incarnation. What that word incarnation simply means is that God put on flesh. We have to understand the miracle of the incarnation, that God was fully human, the Redeemer, the Creator, the Sustainer, the, uh, the, the, the One who holds the universe became a fetus in the womb of a woman. He was born. The Creator put on skin of the creation. Listen to me. He cried. He grew. He slept. He ate. He experienced what we experienced, and He was tempted. The writer said, like we are tempted. He was fully man, fully flesh, fully blood. He was the incarnation of God Almighty fully man. Why is this important? Because the first heresy that we really see flowing throughout the church said that there was no way that he could have been fully human because he was holy and that that flesh cannot be holy. But Paul addressed it over and over again, particularly to the Colossians when he describes over and over again that he was man. That's why we, he wrote that he was tempted in a like manner like we are tempted because if the fact that he was fully man made him the perfect sacrifice that he looked down the same struggle you're looking down and he beat it down and he went on in victory to say I went away you couldn't go to make a way you can go and he took it all the way to the cross and he sealed it there with his own blood amen amen you've got to understand the power of the incarnation he became fully man but in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. My goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit in what I'm going to say to you. They will come knocking on your doors, white shirts, black ties, and tell you that he is some form of the creation. Can I tell you that Revelation said that he is the supreme of creation. In other words, that from him all creation flows. That he was not some created being. He is not equal to the other angels. That he is God in full, fully God incarnate as a fully man. I want you to understand the significance of this. I want you to understand.
understand that the only way that a man could justify himself to a God was to live holy and righteous and then as God take that step onto the cross and so in him was the sacrifice and the forgiveness all wrapped up in one. Jesus became what we need. Come on now, amen. But yet, people want to deny that. I want to teach you something. I want you to understand that Jesus represents to us God and he represents God to us. But in the fourth century, they had another heresy begin. In the fourth century, a teaching began to sweep the globe that Jesus was not fully God. That he was a lesser version of God. That he was a reflection of God. That he was not a co-equal with God. Somebody said, Pastor Don, why have you made your stake with Jesus? I tell you, though I ascend to the highest places, he is there. Though I ascend to hell, he is there. He is with me and I have made my stake with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the hope and the answer and no man comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. I want you to get that today. But here's what I want you to see what they were preaching. They were preaching that he just could not really have been God. Because there's no way that God could have died. There's no way that God would have died. That he couldn't have fulfilled the sacrifice if he was God. And there was a man by the name of Arius who began to speak at a council they gathered. They brought the leaders of the church from all over the empire. And as they came together at this special council, Arius began to preach with great eloquence that Jesus was not God. And he began to declare that Jesus could not have been God. And there was a man, as some cheered and some, some groaned, but one man sat there with a zeal down inside of him that he could not contain as he sat in his seat. Finally he had had enough. And that man all of a sudden sprang from his seat. His name was St. Nicholas. And old St. Nicholas walked across that thing. Nicholas walked across that room and he walked up to Arius as he preached and he said, I want to show you the spiritual thing he did. Are you ready for this? He said, boom! And bopped him right in the nose. He said, you're talking about my God and my king. And I will hear no one, I will hear no one belittle the fact that God himself came and went to a manger. And that's how Nicholas became associated with the Christmas story. Because when everybody else was fighting, he took a stand for what was right. Can I tell you, you may be at war inside of yourself, but God himself has taken a stand for what is right inside of you. And he's looking for you to take a stand for him. And when you believe in Jesus, everything changes. I don't even know where I am in my sermon. <laughs> Joseph is told what to do. He gets up, he does it, listen to me. And Joseph goes against society's norms to do what is right. Mary is invited to cradle the Creator, and this girl of obscurity all of a sudden becomes someone we talk about today. The shepherds are taken from, from rep their reproach, and they're brought into being the messengers of the born King. We see how it changed their lives. How can this story change ours? Well, we too can join a journey that's not in line with social norms. We too can join a journey that will move us from the ordinary to the extraordinary. We too can join a journey. Listen to me carefully. We can join a journey that will let us see. I love what happened to Mary. It was not an invitation for her just to watch and see what God was doing. God said, I'm going to do something in you and then you're going to show me to the world. And God wants to do something in you that the whole world might see. But watch this. And then we too 
people of reproach become the first ambassadors of an incarnate God who came at our cry and now cries to us, Come and behold Him. Come. What did the shepherds do? They ran out and they began to worship. I want you to get this. I want you to look at the life of Joseph. He got up and he went and he did. What did he do? What did God command him to do? Marry, Mary. Go have a wedding, marry, Mary. Marry her. Marry, Mary. <laughs> and so, imagine what his mama was saying. Imagine what his brothers were saying. Imagine his father saying, you marry that girl and you're, you're, you're putting a shame upon our household. It went against everything that he thought he was supposed to do, but yet he did what God told him to do. And look what God did through it. It changed his life. It changed the world. It changed us. Watch this. Let me, let me, let me just give you this. You see, what really happened to Joseph was this. Watch this. Joseph made a decision to do what was right, even at the expense of what was right for him. Now, wait a minute. See, the word that I didn't expect in this series that popped up last week that's coming back in this week is the word chaos. Some of you are stepping into a season of chaos, utter chaos. Let me explain that to you. Have you ever tried to put a bike together at 2 a.m. in the morning? And there's a part missing? That's chaos. But for some of you, it's not that simple. Some of you are going to families who are torn apart and divided. Some of you can't talk with each other because, you know, if you say this, they're going to be set off. And you know, if this happens, this is going to happen. And, and this one's angry at this one. And that one's angry at that one. And you, if you sit beside this one, that one's going to be mad at you for sitting beside this one. So you've got chaos in your life. But what would happen if you did what God said this morning, do good to those who are doing bad things to you? What would happen if you did what Joseph did? What would happen if you made up your mind that when you go into that thing, it's not about whether or not you are seen, it's whether or not you, watch this, you do what's best for the other people present, even if it's not what's best for you. Here's a question for you then. How can we act in such a way this Christmas that we put someone's highest good at the forefront of how we act? It's really not about us. And it's not whether or not we like them or not. It's about whether or not we show Jesus to them. Because it's our job. What did that verse say? The Spirit and the bride, the church, the Spirit and the Christians say, now some of you are going, Pastor Don, I don't know how you're going to do that. I don't know how you expect me to put other people's needs above mine. I don't know how you, be, how you expect me to forget all that my brother-in-law's done or sister-in-law's done or mother-in-law's done or father's done or the person who abandoned me has done or my spouse has done. I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. Watch this. I'm going to show you. It's in the song. Oh, come, all ye faithful. And some of you said, well, that cuts me out. No, it doesn't. Now's the time to become faithful. Today's the day to stop saying, oh, someday we'll get together and say, Jesus, we're getting together today. Watch this. This is where you're going to find the strength to serve him the way he's called you to. Oh, come, all ye faithful. Oh, come, let us what? 
adore Him. When you learn to worship God, you'll learn to love His children the way you're supposed to. For worship is the way we live, the way we adore Christ. And adoring Christ means living like Him. We put someone else's needs above our own. Would you stand with me today? That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now. Real Love Now.